The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is Sunday. about the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guns up, pity up, Wolfpack. You're in the comp center with Drew Breezy. Comp Center is one of the failure to stop shows. If you're new to Failure to Stop, you should know there's four different iterations of Failure to Stop, one for the whole family. On Tuesday, there's Night Shift with Andrea. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Then on Thursday, Eric takes on the news and last call. Thursday night's us in the comm center on Friday. Of course, we have our flagship show, Failure to Stop. Drew, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm good as always. Drew, this show is brought to you by Ghostbed. If you uh, are looking for a good night's sleep, go to Ghostbed. We have plenty of voicemails tonight, lots to get to. Uh, some issues in the news. You guys may have heard that there was a verdict in the Murdoch trial. We will leave that to the other half of Fair to Stop to announce, but uh, short, short to say that uh, a conviction has been reached in that case. It'll be exciting for Andrea and Eric and the, and the rest to talk about. We also have some news going on in Chicago. Police officers around the world can uh, celebrate the end of the political career, hopefully, of Lori Lightfoot, the Chicago mayor who uh, lost uh, heavily her rebid to become the mayor of Chicago. She blamed uh, sexism and racism for the cause as the cause that she was not reelected. Of course, we all know the truth is that too many of her constituents were murdered over the last several years of her tenure as mayor of Chicago, and there's simply not enough left to vote for her. Uh, speaking of news in Chicago, it is uh, with our great sadness that we have to announce the line of duty death of Chicago police officer uh, Andres Vasquez Lasso. It's uh, bittersweet that a mayor who has done so little for her police department in the city of Chicago that uh, still one more officer under her, her tenure has uh, met an unfortunate end. Our thoughts and prayers go out to that officer, his family, both blood and blue. Uh, we think about the officers in Chicago and the situations that they have there. And uh, we hope that uh, Chicago will uh, find a mayor who takes a tougher and more logical and uh, level-headed sense when it comes to fighting crime. Drew, we got a bunch of voicemails tonight. Did you want to get to that or calls right away, or what are you in the mood for? Man, we uh, we have learned that there is a fellow named David. He's in the Navy. Uh, we're we're going to be talking with Davey, who's still in the Navy. Uh, he probably will be for life. So, Davey, uh, David, are you still with us? Yes, Drew, I'm still here. Oh, Good, because uh, my heart skipped a beat when I didn't hear anything. Um, <laughs> David was uh, privy. Thank God he has a security clearance because he heard a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, enough to get us all convicted. So, uh, David, how are you this evening? I'm doing pretty good, Drew. <laughs> are you, by chance, uh, at Andrea's using her internet? No, I currently don't own internet in my place. Oh, good. Um, so we were talking a little bit with David, uh, and he is uh, a 
QCB instructor in the Navy. He does uh, other naval things. He's out in San Diego. It's beautiful weather out there. What else is going on out there? Uh, luckily, nothing else. I mean, it was raining for a couple of days, so everybody learned how to drive in the rain in California, so it's been nice. It, it never rains in Southern California, now does it? <laughs> it rains twice a year. John, do you have any questions for David? Uh, yeah, just uh, you, I'm, I'm, thanks for your support of the show. You just uh, you miss us so much every week. You were first on last week, too, and you just – you, you don't mind hanging out for an hour and a half and eavesdropping and uh, taking taking notes of all the terrible things we say before we get started? <laughs> David will be the uh, most popular one at the Failure to Stop Christmas party. He will be the one uh, with all of the free drinks in his hands uh, and uh, several gift cards from local establishments and uh, possibly Macy's. So David, David has And I will be bringing the super chat. David has said he's coming out to the meetup in Clayton, which we have uh, just as a reminder to the Wolfpack. The meetup is in Clayton, April 12th. We're going to go out there and have uh, some kind of events as yet unscheduled. David will be there, as will others. Me, Eric, Drew, Andrea, uh, Deadleg, who's our call screener tonight, which uh, just wanted to recognize uh, Deadleg for screening calls here and uh, hanging with us and working so hard. Uh, But you're going to get a chance to meet all of us out in uh, just next month. It's coming up already out in Clayton, North Carolina. So if you have any problems with transportation or you need to carpool or anything like that, DM Eric directly on Instagram. I know that he's setting up some kind of pool. Uh, Just so you guys know, I will also have my own vehicle, but I will be completely disinterested in sharing with you. So definitely uh, (laughs) DM Eric if you need a ride to get to it from the airport out to Clayton. He's a local. David, thank you for hanging in there with us. Uh, We always appreciate our, our callers who, by the way, can do what David did and they and call before the show even starts and probably eavesdrop. Uh, we are at eight four eight two six six sixty nine eleven. Nice. That's eight four eight com nine one one. It's kind of catchy and it's kind of clever. We actually have a nine one one related show this evening, David. I'm going to let you go. Thank you again, and uh, please, of course, um, understand that uh, the Russians will get you if you tell any of our secrets. Thank you. That's um, true. So we're going to go over, uh, there was a, um, in 2019, uh, we, we came up on the, what would that be, the fifth, uh, fourth anniversary of, uh, of a shooting that occurred outside of Illinois, uh, outside of Chicago in Aurora, Illinois. Many of you will remember Aurora, Illinois from a couple episodes ago, uh, where the guy with the knives charged at the officers and they had to uh, use deadly force on him, but. This was before, a case. before we get to that, Drew. We got four voicemails. I'm, at, I'm, I'm no, just no, no. I'm, I'm going to get to the voicemails. I just want to kind of tell the audience what we have in store for them, so they don't, uh, so they're not guessing. Okay. But, we, but there was an active shooter incident. Uh, we're going to go over some of the video from. Uh, actually, we're going to go over some of the audio. A little bit different tonight. Maybe not the 911 calls. We're going to talk uh, about the radio traffic and kind of give you a better example of what an air traffic controller, so to speak dispatcher sounds like and the stress that they endure and then we actually have uh just you know straight off of youtube but we have the uh uh surveillance video um and it it kind of overlays with uh what uh what's being told to uh the officers on the radio uh compelling stuff we got a lot to, to get to uh, and as john my gracious co-host mentioned we have uh some voicemails so let's get to those right now in west 
and I'll keep it short. I'm, I'm going to start that again. Hey guys, um, I'm a cop in the Midwest, and I'll keep it short because I know you guys like it short. Um, I wanted to touch on a topic that was mentioned in your guys' latest show about dispatchers over classifying things. I think that's really important to highlight because on patrol as well, if uh, dispatch over over classify something, me going in, if they say violence is has not yet happened in quotations, I'm more likely to take a more tactical approach, a more, I'll, I'll change my questions around to fit that uh, more serious nature rather than, oh, what's going on with your medications kind of. And so I think that that's important to highlight that um, we should focus on overclass fines for dispatchers so that it protects dispatchers and it keeps patrol more aware to what the worst case scenario is in that call. Thanks. This is a double-edged sword in my opinion. I, I, I agree with what you said and I agree with what he said that it's probably better safe than sorry to overclassify something. However, uh, you are priming that officer into believing that something very dangerous is occurring and it may not be, which could turn into um, a high alert situation for the officer when it actually just needs to be a minimal or, or medium alert. Uh, obviously, it's on the officer to make that determination. But if they go in at a 10 uh, and they really only needed to go in at a five or a six, perhaps we can avert uh, some type of deadly force. What do you think, John? I think if, you know, you're talking about taking a situation that, you know, the volume's turned up to a five and the officer think it's it's at a 10, he's obviously operating on some kind of information that would have to be made up. Um, you know, you'd have to put something in there that there's a weapon present when there's not. But if, I guess my view is like, you generally just want to get it right, right? But it, if there's any doubt, you want to resolve doubt in your favor. So you want to give out the call as being, you know, uh, you know, you can always just say use caution on any call, even if even if you don't necessarily, even if it's not a particularly dangerous call. If that's just your mindset, you know, use caution, use an abundance of caution, um, be over prepared rather than under prepared. So when you're call typing something and you're trying to determine, you know, like I said on the on the show where we were dealing with that, if there's a gray area or if there's discretion at all, you know, if you get to choose between a priority one type and a priority two call type. Weigh it out in your mind, and if there's any reason at all that you can make it a priority one, then go ahead and make it a priority one so those officers know that that's the most uh, pressing or the most uh, dangerous call that they have waiting for them. And like I said, just an abundance of caution and resolving doubt in your favor. And I, I think that's what the officer appreciates too. You definitely, definitely never want to mislead an officer into going into a situation that's more dangerous than they think. Just to put it into context, we're talking about a call from uh, a few shows back. It was a 911 call from a guy in Michigan uh, who said that, you know, I need you to show up here. Um, I'm having trouble with my father. And then the father gets on the phone and he starts talking, uh, saying that his son's having a mental breakdown. So the dispatcher classified it as a mental health issue when uh, and, and neglected to, I mean, you know, I, I use the term neglected loosely. Uh, she didn't classify it as a domestic, which would have kind of upped the response, but the result whether it was whether she had any culpability in it or not, the result was that uh, the call held it, it held over a second shift, um, and it it escalated in the home, and uh, the young man you know killed his father uh, and made a second nine one one call where he confessed to it. Uh, please 
do yourself a favor and go back and listen to that episode. You can download it any on any podcast platform, or you can um, you can still watch it on YouTube. Uh, and if you ever want to call and discuss anything like that, our phone number is 848-266-6911. That's 848-266-6911. Here is another voicemail. If I can get it. Hey, going. guys. This is Bone Cold. I waited a while. I know it's been a couple weeks. But uh, I'm hoping you guys can help me try to find a missing person. I heard you guys are the ones to do it. The missing persons is the Philadelphia Eagles defense that Ooh. went missing during Super Bowl 57 and cost us a championship. Uh, if you guys find them, could you guys please return them to Lincoln Financial Field? Thanks again, guys. Great show. Love y'all. Guns up, giddy up. Wolfpack. Aru! Aru to you. Hey, Tom Thank you. Uh, oh, hold on a second, Micah. Stop talking. Uh, yeah, we, we uh, I won't be able to find the Eagles defense. Um, I will say this about the Philadelphia Eagles. In 2016, Harambe was murdered. Yeah. In 2017, they won the Super Bowl. And then in, finally, in 2019, we had COVID. Do you see a pattern emerging here? It's the end of Western civilization as we know it. Mm -hmm. And if I can do anything myself to deny the Philadelphia Eagles ever win even an NFC championship again, I will. I wish nothing but injury upon their team and all of their fans. Does that include Ron Jaworski? Yeah, I don't like Jaws. He talks too much. He's from Western New York. He's from Lackawanna. Uh, how about this one? Well, Heidi, all there. Uh, yeah, this is a non-emergency. Glad I got the non-emergency line. Uh, kind of weird to get the voicemail, but... Uh... Uh, yeah, Swedish. I'm, I'm naked and stuck in a hotel tub right now. Uh, if you could send the fire department or someone to, uh, come help me out, that'd be great. And, uh, on their way, could you, could you ask them to bring me some hot chocolate with marshmallows? You know, I, I I've been kind of, kind of thirsty getting stuck in here. Uh, yeah. And make sure the marshmallows aren't the mini, mini ones, the ones that come in the, in the cocoa powder. I need them to go get the bag of marshmallows mm. that are small. And use those, okay? Not the jumbo size, but, but you know, the mini ones, you know, the, the good ones, okay? Uh, a nice good hot chocolate with some marshmallows will really make my day getting out of here. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if, uh, if that could happen, that'd be great now. Uh, you know, uh, it'd be great. I'm 10-6. You all have a great one. I could see why he would want the small marshmallows. If he's been trapped in the bathroom for a long time, he probably does not want to avoid a direct comparison between that and large marshmallows. Yeah, I mean, if he's been, th he did mention that he was thirsty, but he's also in a bathtub. I mean, so I don't know. Yeah, how, drink the bathwater, man. But, yeah, yeah, is that guy, just... was he from Sweden or was he one of our Canadian friends? Because he didn't Pretty... identify himself as, he said 10 6 at the end, which really. He did say 10 6, which means he's not 10 7. He's just busy. Yeah. I think that's right. He is just busy. Here's an, uh, we'll have to uh, confer with Chief Keith later, later and see if marshmallows are an acceptable uh, method of removing people from the bathtub because you know, they've got those like farmer's almanac tricks up their sleeves. Oh, they got those in there. All their bunker gear and equipment. There's marshmallows in there and they got the sticks too. Don't even tell me they're not out there making s'mores on structure fires. Oh, Once the no building's way. gone and you've already signed off for the insurance, don't tell me you're not making s'mores. Yeah. Why else are you on scene all night? Give me a break. With cinnamon grams. Okay. Hang on one second. This is actually a good call. Hey, Com Center. This is Micah. Not to say the others weren't good. 
I'm working the other side of the week this week and actually the opposite shift uh, supervising. So I had a couple questions because I know both John and Drew have uh, supervised your experience and I guess the Wolfpack as a whole too. Um, I'm always learning, you know, whether it's from admin staff, support staff, um, and sometimes even the community members um, here locally. So uh, for a supervisor, I'm just curious if uh, you have tips of some things that you try to do um, to help uh, the people that you're working with and for. Um, I'm not talking about pizza parties um, talk and platitudes, but like stuff that actually matters. Um, and also, you know, what have you learned um, from your staff and um, et cetera, like I had mentioned. And also like the line workers, um, what would you like to see or hear from uh, supervisors where you work? And maybe an example of uh, someone, a supervisor that was able to help you. And um, one thing I appreciate about the the Wolfpack as a whole, it's a community, it's tribe, it's, you know, support for public servants. Um, we need to support each other, whether you're pre, first or second responders, um, dispatchers, fire, EMS, police, corrections, um, supporters, um, whether you're doing research or, um, you know, a grandmother that's uh, writing true crime notes. Um, we, I would appreciate everybody's input. And uh, guns up, giddy up. It's going to be a long, long week. So I'm looking forward to the next comm center. All right. Thanks, guys. Drew, you're a lieutenant forever and a day and even a captain for a little bit. Why don't you no, address I was the leadership not. stuff? That, that's, a, that's a myth. That's a misnomer. I was not demoted from captain to lieutenant. I was demoted from corporal back down to deputy. And I rose through the ranks once again to achieve the rank of lieutenant. Oh, like like a phoenix rising. Okay. Like a you. phoenix rising uh, in Phoenix. Um, well, give us some leadership tips. Know your people, right? Uh, I, I cannot tell you. Uh, look, I, I, does it really take – well, okay, like let's back up way back here for a second. Think of the last time you were yelled at, John. Not Not by me because this is something different. I did. This is a different style of leadership. This is more boot camp esque that I'm trying to put you through. Think of the last time that you were yelled at, or th anybody out there in uh, failure to stop land, Wolfpack land. Uh, and then think of how you felt at the end of that yelling at, and then think uh, was it effective or not? I mean, uh, I used to get yelled at like early in my career because I stood for that. And I was in a different generation, to be honest. We were, we were a transitional generation. We were moving from the old school into the kind of transition, you know. But yelling never seemed to work for me, and uh, it never seemed to be an effective tool. The people that I work with, uh, I mean, uh, the last time I was yelled at was in 2020 or 2021 maybe, and uh, I can tell you, the um, the guy that yelled at me was a stern asshole, and he has zero leadership skills. And if he were sitting in front of me, I would tell him the exact same thing. In fact, I may have told him at the end of the conversation the exact same thing. But he was a bully. He was in a position of authority, and uh, he knew you know he had my career, so he could get away with yelling at me. I, I'm saying all of this to tell you. That, 
if your blood pressure raises 120 uh, above 120 over 80 over some stupid administrative bullshit or um you know safety issues are a different story i mean sometimes you you react or overreact or whatever or you know when things are frustrating especially as a young supervisor or a new supervisor but you're not going to get anywhere by yelling at anybody and in fact you're going to be more endearing to everybody if you just kind of keep the same tone I, i mean people will know when you're pissed there's no two ways about it you don't have to elevate your voice one of the worst ass chewings i ever got by the way was when i was in the air force believe it or not they did chew your ass in the air force um it was from a lieutenant colonel who chewed my ass up one side and down the other and he never raised his voice above this he just fucking let me have it and and it was just like i could feel his disappointment and he could sense that i was taking it like you know, this was going to be a learning moment for me. And boy, was it humbling. This job has a way of humbling you. There, There's no need to raise your voice to anybody. Uh, I once told my narcotics partner, who was maybe a year or two older than me. And I mean that, a year or two older than me. He was screaming at the top of his lungs over something that we were doing. We used to, we used to have fights. I mean, but he was screaming at the top of his lungs to me. And I said, I, I just looked at him and I said, my father doesn't talk to me this way. I don't have to take this shit from you. And I left. What's what's not true about that? Like, I, I value and respect my parents more than I value and respect a lot of people that I worked with, like 99.9% of them. Uh, so if they're not going to treat me with that same respect, I'm not, I'm not talking about picking up my ball and going home or being a brat. Uh, but I've, I've got a lot of respect or I'm giving you what I got. Uh, I don't deserve to be treated like a little kid and nor should you ever treat anyone like a little kid. What do you think? Well, first of all, I want to say to Micah that he's probably got more leadership experience than I do. I was a sergeant for a little over a year and I, so I could probably tell you a lot about leadership in terms of the mistakes that I made. But I remember when I became a sergeant, I wanted to be the kind of sergeant that I always wanted when I was an officer. And that was someone who didn't all of a sudden think that he was too big to do the the regular routine stuff around the prison. Um, when I became a sergeant, I made it a point to go out there and I would work alongside my officers and I would do rounds with them and I would search inmates and I would, uh, you know, when I was in the, in the mess hall, I would clean off tables to show people that like, you know, I will lead the way I will, I will do the work that needs to get done. Um, when you're in corrections, you know, if something doesn't get done, not only does it stay undone, but people can get hurt ultimately if you're not doing what you need to do when you're inside that environment. And so I always just tried to be the kind of sergeant that I wanted, which was somebody that was not too big to get their hands dirty. I, I was out there doing what the officers would do as much as I could. Yes, I had more responsibilities. Yes, I had things that I had to do as a sergeant that would take me away from the frontline workers. But anytime you have time to show your officers that you're still a correctional officer, even though you're a sergeant, even though that you're in command of the shift, that you still have all the same concerns and issues that they have. You just have a wider scope of things at the same time. I think that they appreciate that. Um, where I worked, a lot of the sergeants would, once they got promoted, you know, they disappeared, they'd go into control rooms, they were doing other things. You never knew where the sergeant was at. I tried to be someone who was visible. 
And it's interesting, Drew, that you talk about being yelled at by guys in the Air Force. There was a sergeant that worked there when I became an officer, and he was ex-Air Force. And he intimidated me. Uh, he, uh, he was absolutely squared away. I can remember one time working as an officer. This is just a small detail, but I obviously remember it. You know, how many years later? We're, we're 15 years later. I can remember I was uh, working at a, a med pass line where the inmates are coming to get their meds, and it takes like an hour and a half to give meds to that many people. And I, I had the sleeves of my coat rolled up because I was hot. And he came over and grabbed my sleeves and pulled them down. He didn't even say anything to me. And it was, anyway, it was for him, it was all about the way that you present this, yourself, the way that you carry yourself is very important, particularly when you're an officer, uh, the way that you comport yourself, all of that stuff matters. And um, I don't know, it just always made a big, big impression on me. I'm not telling you to, to have his style that you need to go around and, and put your hands on people and yank their sleeves down, but buy into your own stuff, buy into being a professional, buy into the fact that you know, a lot of people look down on correctional officers, but be as professional as you can possibly be. Don't ever compare yourself to some other profession and say, well, I'm only a prison guard or whatever, which you probably don't already do anyway. But just be as professional as you can. And there's no such thing as being too professional and model that for your employees and reward good work. And Drew, all I have to say about not not yelling at people like their kids, it can get tough when you find officers doing very childish things. And I'm not talking about you as a as a per, as a person in law enforcement, but uh, it was it was stressful to me as a supervisor when I would find officers doing things that uh, just made me insane, stupid things, unsafe things. Uh, but yeah, you you do have to you know, treat them with that respect. Otherwise, you know they're going to lose respect for you, and you you'll never be able to build that back. I, I'm not going to tell you I didn't bust balls. Like I, I I'm you know maybe my way of chewing ass was calling them out or, you know, you know, I'm not going to tell you I didn't do that. Uh, things were pretty light around uh, when I worked. Like I, I always kind of said, look, <laughs> when it's just us, we're fine. Like, we, you know, fair game. Let's, let's have fun. Uh, but when it's time to go to work, it's time to go to work. And uh, I found a lot of success with that. You know, you know, what goes a long way. Uh, you can have a library full of leadership books, but if you don't put any of it into practice, um, it's not going to do you any good. But uh, I can tell you, I made a point. Uh, whenever I found an employee that had a death in the family, I always found I, I found the time to go get a sympathy card at a minimum uh, and handwrite something and mail it to their house, not leave it in their work mailbox or so, you know. Sometimes a phone call is not timely. You know, like sometimes it's just bad to to call, you know, like they're overwhelmed with stuff and they're like, who's this guy calling me anyway? Uh, but I can tell you when my father died, uh, I got two or three sympathy cards from people that I worked with and I was floored. I was like, I, I thought, I never thought in a million years, I, you know, this, I thought this guy hated me and, and he sent, you know, sent the most honest and, um, meaningful card. So, um, birthdays are important weddings, you know, the, it, right out of Rudy Giuliani's uh, leadership book. I don't, you know, he was a great leader before, uh, everybody smeared him with, uh, Trump, but, uh, you know, weddings are optional funerals are mandatory. And, and I always stuck by that. Like, don't celebrate me with me because, uh, my kid is getting married and you're, you're at an open bar and you get free cake. Um, I, I need you here when my, when my father dies, you know, I, that's, that's, and I, that's always stuck with me. And I, I, I see that like 
Plus, I'd like to know about people. So I attended a lot of funerals when I was coming up. Yeah, some of the hardest stuff I ever had to do as a sergeant, and again, I didn't do it very long, but uh, I, the hardest day I ever had at work was uh, we had a, one of our officers uh, took his own life, and he was uh, very well-known and very well-loved. He'd been there a long time, and this was already in the era of Facebook, and I was very concerned about uh, the staff all finding out through Facebook, and it was that would be a horrible way to find out that your, your friend had passed away, particularly in that manner. And I think probably the hardest uh, shift I ever had was I, you know, it was on the weekend when all the upper staff wasn't there. And I wanted to make sure that the people who were closest to him found out the only way that I could. I would prefer to tell them in person, but obviously when you're corrections, you can't do that. So I called them and made sure that they knew. And not only that, but I said, you know, I don't know him very well. Who else should get a personal phone call? And I hated doing that, but I wanted to make sure that my people were taken care of, you know, that I was, I talked to them on the phone and I made sure that they were okay hearing that news and that it just didn't get out on, on Facebook and people were just left alone. You know, I wanted them to know that, that somebody who was in charge, at least right now at the penitentiary cared that, you know, that they were going through that grief. Tony brings a good point, uh, and maybe we can wrap it up with this. I've had some bosses and leaders that I would follow into hell and some that I wouldn't follow down the hallway, and I, I, I totally agree with that. But I can also tell you this. Uh, th those ones that I wouldn't follow down the hallway taught me more than those that I would follow into hell because I know what not to do. There, there's, a, there's one or two that I've run across in my career that I, I know – I am the polar opposite of them because of them. So it's, it's almost a, in fact, at the retirement of one of them, I thanked him for that. Uh, I was honest about it and I, I thanked him for, for teaching me those lessons of what not to do uh, to people. So uh, thanks for the calls, everybody. Make sure that you uh, call when you get a chance, 848-266-6911. We can take live calls. We can uh, hear your voicemails and, and all of your, woes you can uh also hear um and, and like david you can overhear all of our yeah and if you if you have advice for for micah for how to be you know that that first level supervisor and the, you know it's the first time that you're in command of a shift or whatever if you have ideas or if you're just one of those first line people that is really frustrated by your sergeants or your boss or your shift leader or whoever it is at your job you can call in and he's mike is a dutiful listener he'll hear whatever it is you have to say and if it's after hours, if you're downloading this podcast later, make sure you rate and review. But also call us and leave us a voicemail. You could do that at 848-COM-911. Uh, I do like that you mentioned the uh, kitchen material known as Formica. All right, we're going to go into the the uh, shooting, which is uh, there, there were five victims, uh, civilian victims that were murdered in this case. There were also five police officers that were shot. Uh, so this was pretty intense. I think uh, probably the best way to do this, though, is to play the news clip for you hang on one second while i prepare that it is not uh necessarily flapjacks time okay speaking young, of but... flapjacks you know what uh is uh helpful in the morning aside from a delicious breakfast it's getting a good night's sleep you want to make sure you get a good night's sleep here on failure to stop it's the most important thing, and that's why we mentioned Ghost Bed so casually. They've been a loyal sponsor since day one. All of our fans and hosts rave about them. You may remember that Mike the Cop loves, and also our producer, uh, underpaid producer, loves his Ghost Bed. Why do they love them? Because they're super comfortable, duh. They last forever because they were made in the good old USA. 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 
USA. Okay. Every mattress has a 20-year warranty. You can try it out for 101 nights. And if you don't like it, you can send it back without any hard feelings, but you won't do that. Our favorite thing in ghost bed is the mattress itself, of course, which has this awesome cooling technology so that when you get hot at night, it will keep you cool. Right now, GhostBed's got a sale going on, of course. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack, and if you use the offer code Wolfpack, you can get a mattress for 0% down, 0% financing. Even if you have last row Lopez credit, this is my first time ever acknowledging him publicly. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack and get a good night's sleep. Drew, are we ready? I think so. Let's uh, hit play, and we'll see if uh, the chief can give us a quick brief on uh, what occurred. Uh, of course. Approximately 124 today, the Aurora Police Department received multiple calls for an active shooter at 641 Archer Avenue, a manufacturing warehouse. At 128, officers arrived and were fired upon immediately. Two of the initial four officers entering the building were shot. Additional officers began to arrive and were also fired upon. A total of five officers were struck by gunfire. The other officers on the scene located gunshot victims inside the building. At this time, we have confirmed that five victims are deceased. The Aurora Fire Department arrived on scene to stage with medics. A regional law enforcement response was coordinated to include rescue task force, and several teams of officers went inside to locate and engage the offender. The building is 29,000 square feet, and when they located the offender, they engaged in gunfire with him, ultimately killing him. The shooter is identified as Gary Martin. He is a 45-year-old man, and we believe he was employee, an employee of the company. At this time, we aren't sure of the motive of this act of violence. All five police officers were transported to local hospitals, and from there, two were airlifted to Chicago area trauma centers. A sixth officer is being treated for a knee injury. We did find out later in life that uh, he had been let go. The, the the suspect. I'm not. I'm not big on mentioning the suspect's name, but um, skip it. Skip it. He's he um, he was fired that day. He's a 15 year employee, and he was fired. So um, I, I think it was that day, and he systematically went through the the warehouse, and uh, all five of his victims were males. So I don't know. If if uh, it was people that you know he targeted or that he worked with, but this is a true active shooter. I mean, you, you can hear the nine one one calls for yourself. I'm not going to play those, but um, where they they actually I like it's a true full on. This is the uh, when your stomach drops active shooter call. Um, but we're going to listen to some of the radio traffic here. Some of the things that I, I found you know just right here with her talking. Uh, five officers injured, so obviously they engaged this guy in, in uh, battle. They, they ultimately neutralized him by shooting and killing him. Uh, 29,000 square feet. This is something I've been saying since Uvalde, but it's something I can't stress enough. You all know where the active shooter is because of hindsight. You don't know where the active shooter is when you are in the process of clearing a 29,000 square foot warehouse. And if it's if it's just an open warehouse, you know, with machinery in it, maybe it's a different story. But, you know, there are offices to think about. There are men's rooms and women's rooms and break rooms. And there are all kinds of little uh, little hiding spots and stairwells. And uh, 29,000 square feet takes a long time. That's any school campus is the same thing. We're talking about 
hundreds of um, of uh, acres potentially and at a school or at a high school that you've got to go find the shooter. And if you're not getting fresh intelligence from your communications people who should be getting fresh intelligence from the inside, think of the, the Michigan state campus from a couple of weeks ago, same thing. I mean, you're talking about maybe a two or three square mile radius where you're just trying to walk through and, and, um, and look for an active shooter. I, I was involved in something very similar in an apartment complex in North Tampa, we actually formed up as an active shooter element and started moving through the apartment complex um, until we realized that it wasn't fruitful. And then the minute we broke up our thing, he he robbed a whole apartment full of people. It was a it was a mess. It was a it was a big kind of a big story. But uh, um, at any rate, uh, those are some of the things that uh, I want you to listen to when we play the the radio traffic, John. This is going to be interesting. You know, here on Comm Center, we basically will cover from 911 to 1015, you know, from the time when the call comes in and we arrest the suspect. One issue that uh, we kind of, I mean, we talk about it, but this is where we're going to dive in deep is where the radio traffic that goes on. So we're gathering intelligence on 911. And in the midst of all that's happening, while those 911s pour in during an event like this or the Walmart shooting in Evansville or the Michigan State incident, is that there's somebody in the comm center, a shift supervisor or someone else who will take charge on the radio and direct that emergency traffic. You're going to hear some interesting things on here. You're going to you're going to hear officers calling for emergency traffic only. One thing you'll hear when you hear the audio is you'll frequently hear beeps. So you know what that sound is? That's the sound of an officer. They're saying the name of an officer who's been shot where his name's being redacted for that reason. So just remember every time you hear a beep, don't don't get annoyed. You're hearing the name of a person who has just been shot in the line of duty and you'll hear very quickly uh the dispatcher being calm cool and collected but pay attention to her voice you're you as the situation evolves and goes on and on you're going to hear how much she really cares about those officers and everything that's really happening and it's heartening to hear those things because so often as a 911 dispatcher for police officers our stuff could be so routine and we can get annoyed with each other. But at the end of the day, the beginning of the night, this is what we really care about is we care about taking care of officers in the field. And you're going to hear the officers relying on this dispatcher and the dispatcher doing an outstanding job of helping to coordinate the intel and actions for this incident. All right, we're going to play uh, probably about eight or 10 minutes of it. Uh, we'll stop and start as we need if we need to. Uh, this uh, comes uh to us from Fox 6 now, uh, but here it's it's obviously from the Aurora Police Department. We've got an active shooter, 641 Archer, 641 Archer Avenue. Our first caller said there was an active shooter in the plant and hung up. Another caller says there are shots fired in the warehouse. It's an employee that's getting terminated. His name is Jerry Martin. He's still inside. Is there an area one sergeant on the other copies? 105, send me that. Time for 109 the same. Time for All right. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, it will help translate for you if you're not in law enforcement or you're not a dispatcher or, uh, but at, at any rate, it's um, the, the first thing is, I mean, she announced the fact that there's an active shooter, but she also talked about, is there any sergeant on the air that can acknowledge that? Like she wants to get somebody in uh, the leadership of that platoon or that, that uh, shift that's working. Uh, she wants to make sure that a supervisor knows it's probably protocol. 
Um, and it was, it was great that she did that. It was also great that both sergeants answered up like, I heard you, I heard you. Um, you know, so it's comforting as a, I can tell you as a supervisor, as a shift commander, that multiple supervisors are on the ball like that one and two, we're already putting our heads together. We're already headed that way. Um, so that's just something to think about. Frank, Tom. 90. Lincoln, 90. 91. Lincoln, 91. Our phones are lighting up. The only thing I have is that there was two shots inside. It's I have one person down. I believe that person is nearest the shipping door in the front building off of Archer by the loading dock, but I have no further. We're hearing more shots over the phone. All right, so think about that, too. Our phones are lighting up. That just means, you know, they probably have three or four 911 dispatchers on the on the phones, and people are just calling and calling and calling. Just imagine what would happen inside of a high school because it's not just – kids in the school calling it's kids texting other kids in the school who are also calling and it's also kids calling home or kids texting home and the parents are calling so if you're trying to get fresh information from the inside of the school and there's only five or six of you on a good day in a large agency you're going to get very overwhelmed very quickly because and it's not always you're going to have to figure out how to weed through that john do you have any tips or yeah in an incident like that you know we've discussed this has been something discussed in the last couple of episodes but bad 911 calls now i'm not discouraging anyone from dialing 911 but when you're trying to gather intelligence and you're handling 911 calls blind they're all equal when the phone rings and you don't know if this is a good call or a bad call or if it's about something completely different or if it's a butt dial but as a 911 operator you have to decide you know when am i putting this person on hold to take the next call when am i hanging up on this person you know, if, if they were taking a call from a spouse or something, hey, my husband says there's gunfire at work. You know, it's like, we know that you're not there. You don't have any, any more information for me as far as I could tell. Do you know anything else about what's going on? You know, is your husband armed might be a good question. Other than that, you know, you, you have to hang up the phone call and hope that the next one is better. And the last thing you want, and of course this is bound to happen, is you're going to hang up a call that or, or hold a call maybe that has information that's critical, but you have no way of knowing that simply by answering. There's, uh, I also just want to point out, um, I did a research project when I ran a communication center about dispatcher trauma, and I can tell you that one of the major traumas dispatchers uh, endure is the, the audible witnessing of a traumatic event. So you think, well, they're not there, they're not witnessing it. No. What's one of the first things this radio dispatcher said? We're hearing multiple shots over the phone. Hearing gunshots when you're on 911 and you can't teleport through the phone line to go save anybody or, you know, you're listening to people dying essentially uh, is very, very traumatic and long lasting, uh, probably everlasting. So uh, just something else to think about. Is there any one sergeant on the air? Yeah. Okay. No, spark out the address one more time. It's 641 Archer. 641 Archer. I've got active shots going. We can hear him over the phone. He's going to be a male black. We've gotten Jerry, and I've gotten a Gary. So Jerry or Gary, he's a male black. 105, 23. 105. All units, hold your traffic. Six item, 23 and Archer. Four. 
Oh, units, you're going to want to use dock number two. Dock number two, it's one of the middle ones in the last place. That's what we're being told. 105, that is the southwest corner of the back of the building. Southwest corner back of the building. 105, Adam. Uh, suspects of black male wearing a gray sweatshirt, lasting inside the building, heading north inside the building. 104, male black, gray sweatshirt inside the building, lasting headed north. 3 on 23. All units, somebody else gave a better location, a uh, better description. He's wearing a navy blue hat. He said a navy blue hoodie, blue jeans, male black in his 40s with a goatee and his kind of white facial hair and bald. 105, Marcel. Here inside. Inside. All right, time for. Next responding unit start to set up a perimeter. Start setting up a perimeter. We're calling SRT. Get us some dogs. 104. Well. 109. We're calling county. I'll hold Illinois. Go through, guys. Sam 21, can you put me in service? Sam 21, go ahead. 2948, squad 223. Can we stay off the radio, please? Well, fine. We're moving north through the warehouse. We're not hearing anything yet. 104. We got fire shots fired outside. Shots fired on the west outside, south side. Shots fired west side. I got a shot. Don't shot one. Is he conscious breathing? Conscious breathing. We're in a, we're, we're, we're down in a, in a, uh, a bay. Time for. We don't see him, we don't see him. He's on the south side by the docks. We do not have an eye sight on him. We do not have a sight on him. No sight on the man. Get the shields out. Get the shields out. I see a subject by a truck. I can't see if that's him or not. It's by a dually. By a dually. Uh, you see him? Very dramatic, obviously. Uh, audio. Uh, John, why is she repeating everything that the officers are saying? First of all, it's to show that she copies clearly everything that's going on. It gives an opportunity for the officers to correct her. Like if, if the suspect was in a gray hoodie and she said black hoodie, the officer would know immediately, first of all, there's been a miscommunication. Uh, no, it's it's this color. Also, by repeating it, other units that are on the air listening, you got to remember there's a whole bunch of police officers who are doing nothing right now, but they're driving to the scene. They're listening to it just like you are, except it's in real time. And when you're driving and you're trying not to crash your car, it's very hard for you to, to absorb that information in one go. Also, just listening to the radio the first time something happens, it's very easy for you to miss something. You can hear something and it doesn't stay in your brain. So by having that repeating where she says it back to them and not only make sure that it's clear, but all other units that are listening, they also make sure they copy that information. Um, another aspect of it is just, uh, you know, making sure that, like I said, everyone can, can hear what she's saying, but uh, kind of keeping the flow of the radio going and, and maintaining command of it. Uh, you'll hear other units saying, you know, uh, keep the radio clear. She's, they're not saying that to the dispatcher. They're saying that to any other kind of radio traffic that's not necessary right that right at that moment. There is a certain uh, level of accountability. Like you, you really kind of need to have a roll call of who is there. Uh, but at the same time, it does get, uh, it does get kind of uh, hairy. Like that, that was one of my pet peeves when I was on the street, like, uh, somebody's calling for help and, uh, everybody else is, you know, trying to do the right thing saying I'm in route, I'm in route, I'm in route, you know, so-and-so I'm in route. 
well, you're tying up the radio when you do that. How about you just drop what you're doing and get over there and then we'll sort it out, you know, on the way. Uh, but uh, in an active shooter situation like this, like the fire department would never do that because they have to account for every single, you know, person in there in case, you know, the oxygen runs out or whatever. But um, sometimes, you know, when you're mobile as a law enforcement officer, you just, you, you're on the way. They'll either catch it up, catch it on the GPS or at some point when there's a break in the action, you'll be able to and uh, route yourself or, or be able to get on the radio finally. But um, telling the whole world, I'm, in, I'm on the way, I'm on the way, that's, that's not helping the guy that's fighting or the girl that's uh, engaged in battle at the moment. Yeah, it's hard to understand that the radio is a limited resource and that only one person can talk on that channel at any given time. So if someone has critical information, like the suspect's pointing a gun at me right now and it can't get out because someone else is saying like, hey, yeah, I'm on the way there to the scene now, you're consuming that resource. So you definitely want to want to keep that clear. And when Drew says, and route yourself, there's a function on the computer inside a police car. It's a mobile data terminal that has all the same functionality and interface with dispatch that a unit can mark themselves as being a certain status. So they can say they're on scene or they're en route or whatever. So an officer could jump in their car, type that in there and get going. And they don't have to tie up the resource, which is the radio. By the Julie. Eight Adams in the air. 109, I'm here, shield and rifle. 109. Hey, are pretty bad. I need more people over here. We gotta get him out of here. I got four. This is intentional dead air. Like it's, they're just not talking at the moment. I hope. So you also heard out there that they were calling SRT to the scene, that's SWAT. Uh, they're forming up a perimeter. Um, I guess I'm not sure on, on the details on this, but for something like that, it's, you know, you're already in an immediate tactical situation where 911 callers, we already know that somebody's down inside. Generally, anytime where a situation has already escalated to the point where you have gun violence or shots fired, you're past any kind of negotiation. So we're already past the point where this would be considered a barricaded subject or a hostage situation. When guns start firing, it's immediately tactical. SWAT's going to immediately go in there. A tactical commander hopefully is going to report to the perimeter and be in charge of that SWAT team. But ultimately, everyone right now is on the SWAT team because any police officer obviously needs to intervene in that situation and put a stop to it because it's an active shooter. But if there's any talk about whatever about you know, establishing voice contact with the subject, possibly trying to talk to him. At this point, knowing that other people are down and having no break in the gunfire so far as we can tell, there's no reason to necessarily begin making contact with him like a hostage negotiator would. You're going to see why, too, in a second with the, the video. Yeah. Video. Sam 13. Go. I'm out with... He's been shot. Leg, constant breathing. We're taking around the north side of the building through both doors. So uh, we're going to need people to come in through the north. I don't know what the status is of the people inside. All right, he shot in the leg. He's conscious breathing with him. He's coming up the north. 106. I'm hit. I'm still in the fight. I couldn't copy anything you said. 106, I think I'm hit. All right, we've got this guy contained in this building. Let's make sure we've got a perimeter all the way around this building. And everybody hold back and let's get SRT in here. All right, 10-4. 106, did you say you think you're hit? I think I got hit. Who is with you? Is somebody with you? He thinks he's shot. 
Sam 20, where is he? I can't copy his radio. 106, where are you? Sam 13, well, where was something looks like glass on his face? Okay, it's glass in the face. Are you with him? I just heard you. I'm here. Been hitting the leg, but he's already in a squad going to the hospital. Okay, so that's something I wanted to convey to you. Like, her, her, you're talking about a human being who's wearing a headset, who, again, is, is just as helpless as the 911 caller. And as a matter of fact, when you're in control of a radio channel, you feel a certain, and I know this from debriefs of people that have left the profession, but they feel a certain sense of responsibility for everybody's tactics and for everybody and, that's out there. Like, you just. guilt, Yeah. Yeah, and guilt, like survivor guilt kind of, I mean, even though, you know, these people survived, but um, you can hear her start to slip a little bit. She's she's uh, definitely concerned, and, and understandably so. Um, there are people live on the radio telling her, I've been hit, I've been hit. Um, and just to clear up any confusion, there was some, uh, you'll see in, the, in a minute when we show the video, but there, there was, uh, he, he shot out a window. And a lot of the glass fragments went out, and that that accounted for some of the officer injuries. He was also hit in the leg, but uh, again, five officers were injured. John, do you have anything else? She's doing an outstanding job, and that that feeling when you call out for an officer saying, "You know, I heard somebody's down. Who's down? I can't understand his radio traffic." This uh, I don't know if this has been edited or if they just have excellent radios, but the idea, when you get a transmission that's garbled beyond recognition and all you know is that it's an emergency, there's nothing that stresses you out more because a second has gone by in which you could have had critical information that you need to take action, but you're just wondering, I couldn't understand his radio traffic or I couldn't understand who was talking. And as things grow faster and faster and more complex and you know an officer is in danger, you can't help but feel the way that she feels. And in spite of her feelings, this is the greatest testament to her of all is that she is still going. She's still in that fight. She's doing a great job. Her mental focus is still spot on, but those cracks are coming through where her emotions are showing. And I don't think it makes her any less of a professional for it. No, I don't either. Uh, there's going to be a sense of panic that sets in like, like, did I miss something? Did, you know, where, where did he say he was like, and, and you're right though. Those seconds are minutes. Those seconds, you know, like two seconds of dead air is like five minutes of dead air. Like you just, like, how come they're not answering me? I know. I need to know about 106. Okay. He's okay. I'm with him. Same 22 is with him. He has a struck. We're in the fight, so. We're seeing 383. We're on the north end. There's like six of us out here. Yeah. San Antonio south side's covered by us. How many are on the north side? George Wan, I'm on the north. What? He's part of the building. Where exactly is he at? Antony, who saw the broken window? I called that in earlier. What side was it at? Okay, 22. We had shots coming out of the door on the south side, right under door 14. That's where we took fire. He was right inside the door there the last we saw him. One of... Oh, is that where you saw him at? You said he was at the bottom of the stairwell, right? Correct. He was at the bottom of the stairwell, right next to an elevator shaft. Uh, when I came in, it would have been right around door 14. I'm with okay. Okay. All right. And all the medics are at Luigi's. All the medics are at Luigi's. Is there a unit coming to the north end that can bring a halogen up? Someone on the north end, bring a halogen up. We need a medic. I heard her. And, uh, Cleveland, right now. Yeah. Sam 13, hi. I got out. Going back in for Why do you have an archer in Cleveland?
Okay. Maddox, he's coming to him. Keep those medics on prairie. One coming. Oh, well, we put him in a squad. You said you put squad. Yeah, he's with medics right now. We're good. He's with. Okay, thank you. Two Sam 15, I need air. Go. On the southeast part of the big gray building, southeast part of the big gray building, we have people in the doorways are looking out. We're not sure if that's a suspect or not. They're not coming out. Tim, for your suspect is a male black. He's bald. He's got a goatee that's white. And one person said a gray sweatshirt, one said a blue sweatshirt. Well, it looks like this is a male white. Well, they might not be able to get out. Sam 13, for the record, uh, he's got some high firepower on the place, too. Uh, Major Caliber, just FYI. Tom for GL Precision, that's the gray building. They're on lockdown. I went inside. Uh, yeah, medical three. Sam, I got five officers with me on the northeast corner, southeast corner of the building. Just holding the corner of them. Just run for I just had a guy exit 641 Archer, which is the building where the shooting's happening. He stated that the guy went to the back of the building, towards the north side of the building, FYI. Okay, we need a direction. Backside doesn't help us. Where's, what direction? Okay, those units that are coming up, go on the north end of this fence. We're blocking this door here. I'm here. Cousin Tune Tricks. George 1, just say it's a rifle. Get some supervisors' rifle shields. Do we have another medic on scene? I'm going to be bringing another person out. I'm going to be bringing out. Where are you bringing him out at? you got to tell me. Safe spot. Seth Carter in Cleveland. He's getting loaded in a squad right now. Archer in Cleveland. Come for. In the squad. Okay, come for. Sam 13, for the record, I do not hear shots fired inside anymore. This is currently gone to a barricaded gunman right now. 10 4. Still okay with. We're good. His gotten out. His gotten out. Negative. We're up on the second floor. Probably above bay 14 ish, right in a room across from the elevator shaft on floor 2 has not gotten out. We're still up here in the middle of the long hallway. Lots of open doors, lots of stairwells. How is this bleeding? He's good. I gotta turn the cute just in case, but right now he's good. Okay, do we have the ability to come into the north side? We were taking around through the south side. Scoot over. He's shooting through that, that damn door in SDR right there. Bullet holes all, all around you there. Get away from the Get away from that door. You're right in front of that door. George 1, let's establish Luigi's command post, or Luigi's for the command post. Have the first operators get the Bearcat down here, ASAP. The Bearcat's on scene. Where would you like it? Uh, we'd like it over here at Cleveland for dead ends and uh, our all right, let's talk about tactics for a second. Uh, first of all, in, in any major or progressive uh, law enforcement agency, uh, there's probably access to ballistic shields. Uh, either the supervisor has them, they're in the you know the cent centrally kept in, a, in an office at the district, maybe, or and uh, and you know you might think, well, why would you keep them in a district office? Why wouldn't you have them in somebody's car? Well, that's that works well. Uh, until that guy takes the night off and because that's the night you're going to need the shield. So uh, sometimes you lead them in a central room 
or sometimes the working, um, you know, the, the corporals or, or the first line supervisors, you know, they'll work it out amongst themselves to make sure that at least one per, uh, you know, squad has, has access to the shields or has them in their car. Uh, so there's that, um, you, you heard a lot about, uh, bring rifles. You heard a lot about, um, uh, the Bearcat, um, the Bearcat response was, uh, I mean, we're only in, and like John pointed out, it could be edited, but we're only 11 minutes into this call and the Bearcat's already on scene, but you know, I'm going to show you video in a second. I, I think they were probably there that quick. Um, a Bearcat, if you don't know, is uh, usually operated by the SWAT team, special weapons and tactics. It's, uh, like a heavily fortified, um, uh, vehicle that, um, you know, that we've taken criticism, law enforcement in general has taken criticism over the years uh, because we need to demilitarize. Well, here, here's a case in point. This is why we need it. And if you only need it once, then it served its purpose. So, um, you know, the critics can uh, say whatever they want. They can also uh, walk their happy asses up to uh, to a guy who's shooting with high power uh, uh ammunition at them uh, without the benefit of that bearcat well one thing about the bearcat you got to understand is that it's got an aggressive name and i'm sure it looks intimidating but what it really is is among other things is a rescue vehicle i know that this is just my experience as corrections but we had an armored vehicle similar to that and we would use it in rescue situations if we had to take it inside it would almost always be for the rescue of a downed officer or in the case of this building that could possibly make entry with that vehicle and go get a civilian doing that while providing cover for that rescue. So it's not the same thing as a tank going in and blowing this guy up in a movie. You can use the Bearcats for rescue operations. As uh, Deadleg points out, it's uh, it's essentially a Brinks truck with flashy lights, basically. But sometimes there's a turret. Uh, sometimes it's fully, you know, sometimes it is a military surplus vehicle and uh, we're thankful for that. I'm going to fast forward to like maybe the last six or seven minutes. Uh, I don't even know if we're going to need to cover all of that, but uh, here it goes. All right. I have background inside warehouse west side. Yes, ma'am. Inside west side between doors, I believe the one and two, I believe. Thank you. RTF six. We went on the second floor above Martinez. We're clearing out this. We got another team up here for this. Okay, perhaps I've fast forwarded a little bit too far because they sound a little bit calmer. So it, it seems that the uh, subject has been neutralized at this point, and they keep referring to RTFs, RTS, and what an RTF is a rescue task force. So it's it's a team comprised of law enforcement officers, probably with a shield of some sort, and uh, parent fire paramedics or or uh, you know uh, EMS personnel. And uh, they kind of move as an element so that the medical personnel can get in there and, you know, uh, attend to the wounded or pull the victims out to, to safety to where the, the ambulances are marshaled. Um, and that's the point of a rescue task force. There's been uh, a, a big movement in law enforcement and the fire industry to kind of marry up with one another to do more training uh, in rescue task force, uh, like for active shooter events, Asher events like this. John, do you have anything? Uh, no, you know, I was never, you know, heavily involved with a lot of SWAT tactics. But, you know, when you I just wanted to mention what the vehicle's for when you have people talking about the demilitarization of police, this heavy equipment's definitely needed. You know, ha have a civilian come up to that scene and say, well, there's a guy inside this, 
you know, fortress of a warehouse. He's killed some people and he's shooting high velocity rounds at our police officers and we're already taking casualties. What's the solution? You know, it's not to maintain a perimeter indefinitely until the guy gets tired, falls asleep or kills himself. You have to resolve that situation. You have to do it quickly. Uh, excellent point. Uh, we're going to get to the video portion. Uh, we'll just try to quickly go through this. I want to just point a few things out uh, as we go. Um, and this was taken from the Daily Mail's YouTube channel. Uh, they published this at some point. So what we're looking at is, um, can you see any numbers moving? I can't tell if it's paused or played. It looks oh, like it's pausing. It's, it's Okay, it's playing. So if you look in the lower left, if you're watching on YouTube and you look in the lower left, you'll see two officers approaching um, to orient yourself. The, the, in, in, in if you're listening to this, this probably isn't compelling, but... Uh, we're looking at a, a split, four split uh, security camera. In the upper left, there's a stairwell and a doorway. Uh, to the right, there's uh, kind of some loading docks. In the lower left, it's it's a different angle of the same loading docks. And then in the lower right, it's the rest of the parking lot. So you can kind of uh, orient yourself when you're, and you see the, the shooter come out there um, He's got the hat on. He, he's got some kind of wet, uh, white sweatshirt or uh, hoodie. Um, and he walked right in front of the door, but he, he kind of stayed uh, secreted behind a, a, a knee wall so that he was covered and he looked outside. I don't think anybody knows he's in there. And I don't think anybody, meaning in that doorway right there. So he is covered. He's got, there's a steel beam there also. He just uh, takes another peek outside. He sees that there's more officers approaching, and uh, he just kind of stays behind that. He he throws some type of, uh, you know, some type of flower or vase that's that's in there, and now he's uh, attempting to go back into the room where he had just come out from. It's probably a corridor of some sort, um, and he's just pacing around. He's just kind of trying to figure out what he's going to do. I'm sure he's already killed five people, and um, now he's trying to figure out his either his escape or what he knows is the inevitable uh he's going to go down in his blaze of glory but um there's going to be a point here very soon where uh they start describing if you'll remember in the radio traffic they said he's shooting out the window he's shooting out the window and that's what this is that's what we're about to witness here um and so he continues to pace back and forth he hasn't made his way up the stairs or anything. Uh, he just he's kind of trying to check uh, what's going on outside, and now he's starting to just fire at will out, out the window. You can see uh, officers scurrying in the in the lower left. You can see in the upper right. Um, you know, a second ago there was some smoke coming out of the out of the building, and that was his gunshots. And then, of course, in the upper left, you'd see him uh, firing. But now he's propping the door open uh, for whatever reason, uh, not the exterior door, but an interior door. Uh, just remember, too, when you're dealing with uh, secure facilities or large schools or large buildings, you have exterior doors to contend with. Some are locked, some are unlocked. And then you have interior doors. Some are steel, some are safety doors. And that's why people are calling for the Halligan. And the Halligan is uh, just like a... 
it's a large pry bar essentially it's got a big claw at the end of it that you can kind of wedge into the door frame uh he just took a run up the stairs um i'm not sure if he goes into the second floor or not but uh he ran upstairs and he's back down now uh he's i think trying to find a hiding spot uh to either ambush or or to do something when the officers come in um yeah he's improving his fighting position it looks like to me he's he's trying to he's not giving up by any means yeah he's fortifying so the the door he propped open perhaps locks uh but he was able to prop it open again it's not an exterior door and if you see in the lower left you'll see um officers running you know probably to rescue the other officers that were either hit with the shrapnel hit with the glass or hit with bullets um but there does come a point in the video i wish i could find it to be honest but uh there comes a point in the video where um here let me see if i can yeah this video is over an hour long so it takes a while to scrub through it and get all those details on there um if you want to look up this video this particular video it's like six uh, or eight minutes long but um it does show at some point you, you can see the officers in the lower left are starting to converge like they're they're making their move they're they're getting ready to enter the building but there is a point where the bearcat uh you can see the ballistic shields in the lower right there and then of course it fades to black uh then the bearcat shows up so if you look in the upper left now you can orient where the cameras are if you're watching this on youtube uh if not if you're if you've downloaded this on the podcast we appreciate that if you want to have a companion uh (laughs) to this uh you could probably watch it on youtube but or you can definitely watch it on youtube but uh they just use that bearcat to start smashing the door in uh and again this is look at the fortification of that vehicle it's just it's all armor and there are obvious police lights but it's it also provides a um a cover a barrier for them to get behind if if need be uh let alone inside uh, the the windshield is ballistic glass and uh you'll see that this is kind of a typical formation of uh an active shooter uh they they don't know where he is like we know in hindsight that he went through that propped open door but what you're going to do is have an element that's uh we kind of normally form up into a diamond shape and the reason for that is so the two people on the flanks can can cover the doorways as you walk down a hallway the person in front is is watching what's going on in front of everybody and then there's a rear guard who literally walks backwards during that whole thing oh hold on a second grady judd's talking man i admire um but the rear guard the, the point of the rear guard is uh, and it's it's very it's a very difficult position to to work in because you're you're literally walking backwards the whole time mm-hmm. and your gun your handgun or your rifle is out at the ready you know waiting to and and at any moment and and you're basically holding the the belt of the person person in front who's of you. walking forward so you know that you know you're oriented in the right direction and often uh, when we practice these things, you'll find that your adrenaline is so um, is just coursing through your body. So the person that's leading this thing might wa- start walking a little bit too fast, and everybody kind of gets tripped up because 
you know, you're trying to keep up, you're trying to walk backwards and keep pace with the person that's walking forwards. The other, the other thing about the rear guard is if somebody pops out of that hallway with a gun and you're the rear guard and you start yelling, Hey, here he is, here he is, or whatever your code words are, uh, that element now flips around. So you're now the lead and you start advancing towards that guy or girl, whoever has the gun, you still have the two same two people on the flank. And now the, the front guard becomes the rear guard. But think of the, the dynamic of that. Somebody pops, and I'm telling you, even I, I was an active shooter instructor uh, and I went through plenty of active shooter training. Your heart, when you see that, like your adrenaline, everything flushes from you and you just start advancing. And we, we used to do uh, two different methods. We, we would have either uh, sim rounds, which are little paintball. I think they're little soap pellets, actually. And they hurt. Yeah. It's simunition and it, and it hurts. So it does give you the stimulus of you're being shot, but you still are moving forward. And, and there's definitely purpose behind that. It's psychological. Like you can take a few rounds and still move forward. And that's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, we also went to an electronic version of that where you're wearing just a vest and it's literally like a shock vest. I will never put a shock collar on a dog. Never. I, I, some of the worst feelings I've had was at that stupid in-service where we had to wear the shock vests. And if they were even close, they would shock you. It wasn't even if they hit you, uh, but it was just to make you fight through the pain or it was to make you fight through the change, the, the change in the stimulus in your environment and, and advance towards the threat and keep going until you've neutralized them. Well, you got you to gotta make that training real or it's not effective. Of course, you have to train under as real conditions as possible, which you're not going to have live fire in a training. But even I have done some of that, you know, tactical group moving through and clearing out an area. And I was rear guard when I did that. And I have to say rear guard sucks the whole time you're thinking, I really hope we didn't pass by the guy and he's behind me. And it takes a lot of trust to walk backwards and to not walk, watch where you're going and rely on that other team. That's why training together and having that trust with people is critical. You cannot go without training and then do something like this where you're walking around in a tactical formation, watching your flanks and you having a rear guard and do it well. The only way you can do it well is by constantly training, doing the different roles and, and being ready. It's the psychology of it. Now, I, I don't want you to take what I gave you as the gospel of training and the gospel of how to handle an active shooter. I want you to follow whatever your agency teaches you. There, uh, th there are probably some outdated methods, uh, such as walking backwards. But, you know, I, I think generally you're going to move slow as an element. Everyone's going to be doing that duck walk, which is basically you're walking like a duck, essentially. You just you lower your center of gravity because you have your gun or your handgun up. Legs turned out, knees bent. Yep. Knees bent. So you're, you have a, a good uh, center of gravity if you have to engage. And you also uh, are, are walking slow enough for the person that's covering the rear. And, and again, it's not, you can't be looking over your shoulder to see what the people in the front are doing. That's their job. Your, your job is to watch what the, the, what, what's going on in the rear because you're covering their hiney and yours. So, um, you know, this is, uh, these are some of the things that people don't think about with active shooter training, with active shooter in general. And you saw these guys. You know, we, we talk a lot about these dispatchers because we're kind of a comp center centric sh show, but 
lest we forget, these guys were badasses and five of them were injured and we'll never forget the five that were murdered inside the building before they could even get there. So, um, you know, the, the, to be able to um, get on the radio and say, hey, I've been hit, I'm still in the fight, uh, that's courage. And, and that's, 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 uh, that's pretty ballsy. But it's, uh, it's also just testament to, to what uh, and normally happens in law enforcement. Um, you know, there are exceptions to everything, but generally you're being led. Uh, I don't know if we missed it or not. Um, maybe I skimmed over it, but there was uh, a supervisor that arrived on scene and he said, literally, I am taking over ICS which means I am, I am in command now. I am taking over the incident command system. And until somebody relieves him of, of that duty, um, they're, uh, you're going to listen to what that guy is, is, is telling you. He, is, he has removed himself from the situation to be in a command and control position. We did not see that in Uvalde, and I think it was because of a miscommunication that Chief Arredondo was in the fight. He was in the middle of it. Yeah. Everybody after the fact said, no, you were in charge, dummy. But I don't know that he knew that he was in charge and he said that he didn't. And it's not it's not like, oh, well, he said he didn't. So we're just going to casually dismiss it. No, I, lo- you, ICS, you is, ICS is not ranked based. You can be any level of whatever it is your discipline is if you're in charge of that situation right. until somebody else until basically you are relieved or you turn over that command. So the chief arriving on scene does not mean that he assumes command until he gets on the radio and assumes command. And I guess circling back to the conversation earlier from Micah, I don't know what it's like at the correctional facility that you're working at, but one great, great way to train people and one great way to show faith as a supervisor is that if you have an emergency situation going on and hopefully you're using ICS there, if your officer's in command, you can come down there and start standing by and you can assist and you can take part in that, but don't automatically relieve them. If they're doing fine, let them keep going, remind yes. them that they're still in charge and keep going. Uh, I did that when I was a sergeant and I would get on scene, people sort of, all of a sudden they just start standing around because the sergeant's here. It's like, no, you're mm-hmm. still in command. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we're just, I'm here for support. I, it's like CPR. I mean, you going to stop doing CPR because I just showed up. I mean, I, I get it. There is a level of expertise that is required and there is also a, an acquiescence when somebody of rank shows up, but it's, it's not in all situations. It's not, and you know, ICS is built actually for something like that like don't worry about rank at the moment there is going to be a time when you're going to turn it over though uh to somebody in charge we're going to go to uh our anderson township uh chief keith who's going to talk about the fire side of uh active shooter chief keith are you with us oh hold on a second i am can you hear me Uh, i can can you hear john hey chief why don't you walk us through ics i'm sure you know all about it uh, yeah, I can hear John, and uh, I would love to. Uh, now, it's kind of funny. Um, ironically, I was off work yesterday, but we had I got a dispatch on my phone for an active shooter. Ended up being a hoax, and most of ours around here, knock on wood, and luckily are hoaxes, but we uh, we made one six months ago that was it didn't come out as a hoax immediately. Like, it was probably two hours in. So I think the biggest thing that I wanted to hit on with, as far as I know, it's, uh, you know, you guys mess with me being a fireman. I mess with you being cops. The biggest thing is communication between both entities. And that's something, and I don't, at least in my area, 
we're having a really, really hard time, you know, getting everything together to where we're on the same channels. But obviously, <clears throat> when something like that comes in, I work I work in a in a county that's 413 square miles with 39 different fire departments and then 39 different police departments and then you have the sheriffs. So you've got cops just running when they when they hear you know an active threat, they're running. So when you get into that position, fire then you pull fire in. We're staging you know letting letting the cops you know secure the scene or whatever, but then making sure that we're protecting the police officers, you know, God forbid something happens. But the communication between, we have the ICS and everybody's in on it, but it's not necessarily, you know, being communicated through all ranks, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what we, the, the latest training that I remember that we, that we've, like we would marry up somewhere outside the steam, like a, a ranking officer would, would marry up with a ranking firefighter. That way you can establish a, 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 as an RTF of your own, a command, a joint uh, command, a, a joint command. And you have a radio yeah. that can communicate to all the cops and you have a radio that can communicate to all the uh, firefighters or, or paramedics or, you know, rescue task forces. And then both communication centers are not only communicating with one another, but they're communicating through you. So, uh, as you can hear though, there's a ton of confusion. Um, it's, it's hard to keep a lot of stuff straight. And you know, you, like when you're hearing this stuff in hindsight, um, or hind hearing, I guess it would be, but, but, but when you're hearing it after the fact, um, you know that uh, like somebody will say, you know, like he's at the Northwest door and somebody right after them will inevitably say, yes, but which door is he at? You know, it, it, there's a lot of auditory Correct. exclusion that's going on. There's just like, man, it's just a very confusing time. So I think a lot of people, well, uh, go ahead. And, and with that, like, like if it's not your, not your jurisdiction, now granted, we all, sh I mean, I tell all our guys, like, we should know north, north, south, east, and west. But as you're traveling and making turns and this and that, I don't know, like, if you've trained in that school, you know that's the north side, you know, the other, you know, the others are south. I, me coming in, I may not exactly know right then that that's north. So it's like trying to, so what we, what we did around here is every one of our schools, and I, I believe it's statewide in Ohio, and I'm assuming it's, you know, gone across the country, but um, I just know what I know here is everything is labeled. Every door or classroom is labeled and we go A is B in the front, B being yep. your left side if you're looking at it, C and D. And we numbered everything clockwise. So that way we can say, all right, you need to go to door number six you know, like door number one is going to be, you know, at the front of the building and it works its way around. Mm. So it, it just trying to make things a little bit easier because in that chaos, you, I mean, you're losing, every, you're losing all, you're trying to keep your wits, but you're also, you know, in organized chaos. So it's, you know, trying to make it, it's simplifying it because let's just, let's be honest, whether it's cops or firemen, we're all dumb. We just, we just, <laughs> we do a dumb job, but we love it. So, well, there, there's, well also, we what, there's also that. Draw, and, and draw. 
there, there's also that calm center element that you really want to help somebody and that's what you're there to do, but you don't know where they are. And, and there's a level of frustration like, man, I'm just trying to get to the victim. I, I don't know where the victim is. And it's a helpless feeling when you're trying to help. It's, it's such, a, uh, such a confusion in your mind and your body. Well, one thing that's interesting is, right. you know, that dispatch. I want to touch real quick. That way it don't take too much of your time. That way you can get to other callers. But to, to give, give some kudos to, uh, to Jonathan's uh, counterpart, they did fantastic with what I was hearing, just listening to it. And, and I hadn't listened to the tape before tonight. Great job of, like, like you were saying, copy. Hey, I got this. But then, hey, everybody be quiet. I need this information to get out. They kept their wits about them. I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. Um, and not enough kudos. And the show, that's why I love this show and I love calling in. Not enough kudos goes to the comm center people because they're the ones that keep, keep the cops. They keep us, you know, attempt to keep us out of harm's way and give us as much information as they can. Absolutely. And it, it is appreciated, even though people say, you know, oh, they're just, they're just dispatchers. No, I understand, you know, the mental stuff and everything that they're hearing and where that weighs in, but I'll let, I'll let you guys get to some other callers, but I just, you know, wanted to throw the, that two cents in and love you guys and uh, love this show. And love you too, buddy. We'll the, see you uh, in April. If you, if you guys want to uh, see chief Keefe up close, uh, he will be in the Clayton meetup, which is in the middle of April. I think it's the ninth through the 13th. I'm, I'm just making those numbers up. So, uh, right around that. Oh, I'll tell you exactly what it is. If you know when National Telecommunicators Week is, and if you don't, shame on you. Uh, I'm just going to take that position, even though I can't remember it. Um, that's the week that we will be in Clayton. So National Telecommunicators Week is a week to honor the people that uh, we honor on a Thursday night basis at 8 p.m. 7 Eastern. Um, so April 9th is uh, the beginning. Thank you, Abby, is the beginning of uh, National Telecommunicators Week. Please pay homage to your uh, to your dispatchers. Take care of them. It's it's more than a tray of Chick-fil-A. Sometimes they just need to see your smiling face uh, and, and get a, a big hug. But um, uh, we will be in Clayton during that week. We have a lot in store for you. I hope you are saving your money uh, to take a Greyhound bus and meet with us there. John is going to hitchhike from his position in Northern Oregon and uh, we will have a blast and we'll probably have a few drinks for you, free drinks. Um, but that's about all I have uh, on this case. Obviously we honor the, uh, the, the officers that went in and risked their lives to, to save who in, and the firefighters that went in uh, the risk their lives to do that. And they can't do that without the, the, the calm and the voice behind the radio who's uh, actually keeping all the chess pieces in place. And as a matter of fact, is alerting all of the ambulances and all of the fire trucks and all of the other agencies, all of this stuff that's going on behind the scenes in the midst of the chaos of uh, hundreds of 911 calls pouring in, uh, you know, just, just please keep them in mind. John, do you have any final words? Uh, no, I just, you know, that dispatcher was doing a great job, not only getting that information out, but she's, she's, a an Intel manager. She, you know, as you were listening to that, you were, she was keeping track of what resources 
were located there, what, what, you know, when they got there, where they were physically located. And that actually all ties into the SWAT team and even what the fire department will do. You know, Chief Keefe was talking about numbering the sides of a structure and uh, assigning uh, identities to various, you know, entrances and egresses from a building. That's all stuff that tactical dispatchers, SWAT dispatchers, incident commanders all need to know. It's all the same kind of intelligence and all the same kind of information. You know, we all do that as as first responders. And it's just I'm just really amazed by this Aurora dispatcher. She did a a fantastic job and a great deal of that success is is owed to her. Awesome. Uh, Thank you, John. Great show as usual, my friend, uh, my bearded friend. uh, We didn't get a chance to do the poll of whether John's beard looked good tonight or not. If you would, just drop a one if you think it looks good. And if you don't think it looks good, then please just drop a one. John, I'm going to hang up in a second. As usual, don't go anywhere because everything has to download it. And my uh, 56K modem is working in overdrive tonight. From everybody at Failure to Stop, to include the audacious Andrea up late, who handles Night Shift, along with Eric Tanzi, our fearless leader, uh, and uh, Deadleg, who is behind the scenes making this whole operation uh, look the way it looks. And, um, of course, John, who was only uh, sent to his little jail for moments tonight. Uh, and myself, Drew Breezy, tomorrow, the flagship show, will do. we'll be doing a breakdown. We're going to talk, speaking of Bearcat, we're going to be t- uh, talking about specialty teams and, and the such. You probably won't want to miss it. It's just more of a, a kind of a lighthearted uh, look at some of the specialty teams that we do in law enforcement. Please join us at noon Eastern uh, tomorrow, uh, Eric Tanzi and myself. So until next Thursday, tell your Aunt Sally to download this on her favorite podcast platform. Make sure you like and subscribe on our YouTube. I would love it if you told two other people about this and shared it with them. Uh, don't keep this a secret anymore. And then during the week, call us at uh, two, uh, 848-266-6911. Nice. Nice. Yes. Thanks, everybody. Guns up. Giddy up. Good night.